Thank you so much. I've got to talk out of both? Yeah, you get to talk out of both. Okay, so if I make a mistake, it's heard twice? Yes. Yeah, so. Okay, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Nathan. It, it's, it's a real joy, and, and you're such a blessing, both to me and to the church in Scotland. And, and when we hear about what God is doing through you, um, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Scottish church is the worst church at telling good news stories, aren't we? As good news people, we are just terrible at telling good news stories. We're much better as like, I don't know if you remember this, this is years and years ago, but there used to be an advert on the TV called the Ascot Miseries. Right, it's, it's when you had the cold or the flu, this kind of cartoon uh, character would come on that demonstrated what the flu was like, and then another one, whatever. I, I guess they'll update it to, be, to have COVID one now as well, but all, all the kind of cartoons would come on. And I sometimes think that we as church in Scotland, we, we make a representation of the Ascot miseries. You know, we're happiest when we're struggling. And we're best at telling bad news stories, aren't we? Oh, church is declining. Oh, nobody's coming. Oh, this could be the end for us. That's our, that's our sweet spot, really. But I want to tell you this. God is at work in Scotland. People are coming to faith. Churches are growing. There's generations of people rising up that love Jesus, are praying and seeking to see a new season and a new day and a new dawn. And, and that's what God is about. Um, so we have to get confidence about telling good news stories because it builds up the whole of the church. When the whole of the church here, that a congregation in, in Dundee that they've probably never heard of, they'll have heard of Dundee, but maybe not Downfield, um, has come together to raise £28,000 to unite 12 churches and, and some people who probably don't go to church at all to, to come along to redevelop a manse, to offer it to a family from Ukraine. You want to tell that story. You want to tell it for a couple of reasons. That's totally off script stuff. But uh, you want to tell that story because it reminds the whole of the church what is possible in God. That's the first thing. That some churches, their vision is too small. And you've got to widen the vision. But secondly, it brings God glory. Because it's God who stimulates the love in our hearts to want to engage in, in a world where so many people don't want to care about anybody outside of themselves. To see the compassionate God who wept over cities and still does, and weeps over nations and still does, is the God who touches our hearts in such a way that God begins to move. That's a story to tell. That's what we're about as Good News store, uh, people. So, so thank you uh, for, for just sharing that this morning. But, but I want to tell you, you know, share it further um, and lift the bar of hope and faith in our nation. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's what some of us are about. So it's, uh, when is it going to get on to actually the Bible? Uh, um, what? <laughs> That's what we're about. See, every time we're kind of in conversation with people, our desire is, is for them to get a bigger picture, both of who they are and of who God is, who loves them and has called them and is for them and wants them to flourish. That's what we're about. And if every conversation does not mean that people are blessed or encouraged, then we've done something wrong. We're good news people. And don't allow the world to make us into negative people. 
cynical people, apathetic people, because that is the drive of the culture in which we live. I want to say, if you, if you hear nothing else uh, of, of use today, please hear this. You are called to be a good news person. So very quickly, what is EA about? And then I want to get on to what I really want to talk about, which is the biggest issue for the church today is how do I keep close to Jesus in a strongly secularist world? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Um, about over 150 years ago, a whole bunch of church leaders, um, pretty much around the same time, came to the conclusion that if they wanted to see the UK transformed, they would have to find a way of working together and praying together. And partly they found that because they were reading uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17, that the world will believe that the Father sent the Son when we're one. And secondly, they were reading in the Old Testament how when unity is there, then God commands a blessing. And so they, they weren't hoping for uniformity because, you know, some of us are born and bred and died in the wool Presbyterians and that's what we're going to be and that's what we want to be. And we are absolutely betting that there's a Kaylee in heaven, right? Because <laughs> um, that's all we do. Um, Others of us, we've kind of got different traditions, different styles, we kind of worship different ways. And, and they became clear that what God was calling was not uniformity. It wasn't all of us acting the same, talking the same, worshiping the same, being the same. Thank goodness you're thinking, because you think, well, I don't want to be like him. But God is not calling you to be like me. He's calling us to love Jesus together. And to celebrate the differences and diversity of the church. And listen and support one another. But at the center of our unity is Jesus. And so they, they decided to create an alliance that wasn't calling for a new denomination or anything like that. But across denominations saying, we believe the unity of the Bible is a unity around Jesus. It's a unity around the gospel and salvation and calling people into a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's a unity that has a high regard for what the Bible says. And so they started Evangelical Alliance, and it's been going, as I say, for way over 150 years now. And it does lots of different things, but primarily, it does what local church can't do. So it, it brings people from local churches together to pray, to hear, to share uh, what's happening. It listens beyond the local church to what are the trends that are happening around. What is God saying? Now, maybe you don't know. What is, what is God doing in the church in Southampton or Newcastle or Stornoway or, or whatever? But EA, being a wide alliance, begins to see what the trends are. It creates resource where it sees things that are coming and thinks the church is going to have to deal with that and think through that. And so it produces resource out of what it's hearing. And lastly, it becomes a voice. So sometimes it is an advocacy agent for local church. So sometimes we go to government and say, this is a really, 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 really bad piece of legislation. And this is going to harm not just people of faith, but our whole nation. And so we do all of these things together. And EA is a membership organization. So we've got, I think, about over 3,000 churches are part of EA. And 
I think something like 20,000 individuals are part of EA as well. And now there's a European EA, and there's a world EA, uh, and there's a growing movement for unity around the gospel. And in Scotland, we've been uh, going for, I think, about 25 years, and, and we're growing and developing. And it is fantastic to have Shanley on our team, who, who uh, adds so much, uh, is really gifted, and a heart after Jesus, exactly what we look for as, as team members. If you want to know anything more about EA, please speak to Shanley, because um, she actually knows more about it than I do anyway. Um, <laughs> So uh, most people know who you are, Shanley, but just stand up for a second, would you? Um, so please, because I know some of you are now sitting there saying, I would remortgage my house to become a member of EA. It sounds so exciting. I would sell my car. I would do anything. Um, but actually, oh, it costs you like three quid a month if you want to be part of it. That's my kind of plug for it. If you want to find out more, Shanley's a person to kind of talk to. Now let's get on to the really, really, really important stuff of how do I follow Jesus. So I want to read really well-known verses from uh, Matthew 28, from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. We've got a few slides. So if we could get the first slide up, that would be really great. What I want to ask, because I think it's the biggest question for the church in the Western world of today, is how do I become a follower and stay a follower of Jesus with a passion that transforms not just me, but everything round about me. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And why is it so tough? Because it's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy being a Christian of today. Um, if I look back on my own life, I used to be, uh, way back, my, uh, my dad died when I was 15. I left school when I was 16. I didn't stay on for any, like, old grades or any of that kind of um, pieces of paper nonsense. I kind of went to work in, in Resyth Dockyard. I'm a Pfeiffer. Uh, any other Pfeiffers here? Oh, hey, there's, there's a couple of us. Sorry, you put your hands up. Why? They don't, yeah, there we go. Be proud of who you are. Um, I always say Dun, Dunfermline people. That's where I'm from, from Dunfermline. So uh, Fife people are kingdom people twice because we're in the kingdom of Fife and we're in the kingdom of Jesus, uh, amen? So, so it's really great if you're a Pfeiffer, uh, own it, that's what I say. Even if your football team is the worst team in the history of the world, uh, um, you, can still, you can still own it. Um, so uh, I went to work in Resize Dockyard. I'm a shipwright. Uh, I was uh, four years in the dockyard, but in my third year uh, in, the, in the dockyard, I had never been in a church in my whole life. 
um, ever. I lived and was brought up in a place called Abbey View, uh, which is probably a little bit like Downfield, but more flats in Abbey View probably than there, than there are about here. Wasn't, wasn't the most uh, salubrious area of Fife, uh, probably. Uh, if you think St Andrews and the beach and the big houses and go as far from that as you possibly can in your imagination, that's pretty much where I was brought up. Um, and um, there, as in the dockyard, it was kind of a back shift, so it was like 2 till 10, about 8 o'clock at night. Uh, nobody's working, like everybody's finding wee places to go and hide and stuff. I went into what was called a wee house, like a, a little cottagey place in the dockyard where everybody would go for a cup of tea. And there was a book with a switchblade at the front of somebody's chest. Right? And it was called Run Baby Run. And, and um, I, I picked the book up and started to read it because I thought it was a gang warfare book. I thought, this will pass the time while I'm not really working. Um, and, uh, and I read it and it started to grip me as it became the story of somebody whose life was in a total, complete mess. And somebody reached out to them and, and eventually it, it ends up in the salvation and transformation of, of this guy. So it's basically a testimony book, but it doesn't tell you in the front, it's a testimony book, which I have to say is pretty sneaky. <laughs> because if it had said it was a testimony book in it, I would have known not to read it, uh, and, and then my life wouldn't have taken the direction it had taken. Um, so I read the book, and at the end of the book, he says something like, so um, if, if you've never thought about whether there is really a Jesus, and whether he loved you, then why are you rejecting something that could change your life forever without ever thinking about it? Um, and so I, I kind of thought, and that, that, that kind of moulder in my head for days and days and days. And I won't go through the rest of the story, but, but um, I ended up in my room having never been in a church, never knowingly spoken to any committed Christian person, getting down beside my bed and saying, Jesus, if you're a real person, I believe that you died for me. And I, I want you in my life. My life is missing something. I need you in my life. And everybody has a different story. And I can recognize, but this is my story. And in that moment, I encountered the presence of God in that room. That was almost tangible in the room. And it changed my life completely, almost from, from the outset. From that time on, for the next 30 years, I've been trying to follow Jesus, which is not always easy. <laughs> I've made huge mistakes, fallen into big holes, I had to lift myself back up again. But some things I've learned, and this is the keys that I want to try and unlock for you today, is it's getting tougher. It's getting tougher to follow Jesus as a radical Christian in the Western world of today. And why is that? Next slide, please. Okay. Um, for hundreds and hundreds of years, society in the Western world, particularly in Scotland, the UK, has been shaped by a Christian story. It's what we call uh, a mega or big narrative. It's an overarching story that shapes everything. It could basically be summed up in this. It starts with God created stuff that then people uh, fell, 
sinned, were separated from God, were away from God and couldn't find a way back to God. Then at the center of the story is God intervening through Jesus, through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection as a focal point of all of life and history and eternity. And then the story progresses into all the ways in which God restores and redeems a new heaven and a new earth. It's a Christian story. And whether uh, Scotland liked it or not, that's a story that shaped education and business and welfare and everything else. If you're ever trying to tell anybody what a Christian actually believes, uh, that's the story. Creation and fall and redemption and restoration. That's it. Unfortunately, over the years, in Scotland, that story has been rejected now. People don't believe it. Most people don't believe there is a big overarching story anymore. Next slide, please. Rather, people think that whole of life is broken into wee fragments. So what I do over here, what I do over there, and what you do over there, there's no interconnection to it. There's just the choices that we make from minute to minute. And here's the thing, there's no big heaven, hell, over picture, anything I'm answerable to. It's just my choice from moment to moment. And I want to live around the way that is best for me. So sometimes people talk about fragmentation. Hope it's not getting too complicated. But uh, other people just talk about individualism. 50 people in a room, 50 different stories, 50 different people taking 50 different sets of choices. Nobody's allowed to say which ones are right, which ones are wrong, which ones lead to harm or to good. It's just down to you. C.S. Lewis, a Christian uh, writer of a long time ago, uh, talked about uh, people became, becoming self-made men who worship their own creator. I like that. So it's, it's self-made men who worship their own creator. Basically, we have turned ourselves into God. So we have turned this kind of big story that we all know and it shapes stuff and we say, no, we don't fancy it. We don't like the idea of God. We don't want to be answerable for anything. So I'll tell you what, there'll be my story and your story and your story and your story. None of them is right or wrong. They're just individual stories. Are you staying with me on this? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, next one. What does that lead to then if that's the dominant thing? Well, two things. It leads to if anything goes wrong in your story, the responsibility is yours. Right? There's no God to go to. There's no sovereignty. There's just you. So if you mess up, it's your fault. Addictions highest in Scotland as people lost, in, lost without hope. No big picture, no God, no one to turn to. Scotland, the highest addiction rate in Europe. Seven times the UK average. More people dying in Scotland of drugs than almost anywhere in the world. Would you believe that? But true today. EA Shanley in particular is, is compiling a report that we're going to bring to the Scottish Parliament at the beginning of June highlighting the issue of addiction. 
and the way in which churches are helping bring hope and recovery to people who have been hopeless. Self-harm in Scotland, highest in the UK. As uh, young people in particular, but not exclusively, think, I hate myself. I don't fit to the image. I don't fit the way success looks like. I don't look like success. I can't afford this. My life is a mess. What do I do? I harm myself. And literally, you do it. Marginalized, hopeless people. But equally, faith people are being marginalized. Because you know what? Your view of life and story is not popular. It's regarded as judgmental and holy and out of touch and all these kind of things. So I hear all the time, you know, I'm the only Christian in the staff room. And it's really uncomfortable for me. Because if I say anything about anything, I'm just completely ostracized. My people. My wife, before we were all working from home, was the only Christian in a kind of floor of about 150 people whose worldview is totally different. And, and the pressure on not to offer to pray, not to say something about faith, was huge. So Christians feel the pressure to stay quiet and fit in. Because we? we all kind of like being popular, don't we? Some of us don't care about being popular, but most of us quite like to be popular. Um, you know, there's, there's clearly a few Billy Namates in, in this room who, who don't care whether they're popular or not, but most of us like to be popular. We don't like to be outsiders. We don't want to be part, not part of the group and the conversation. We all like to be part of stuff. And so knowing that by saying something about Jesus, we're going to be unpopular we find the pressure not to say something harder and harder and harder. And when our views about what the Bible says, what the gospel says, um, so cutting across what most of Scottish thought, certainly political thought and media thought says, the more marginalized we feel and alone. And so radically following Jesus with a radical gospel that offers hope becomes harder and harder to maintain. Let me say something to you. Uh, almost everybody who's been in a workplace here and maybe in some families here as well feel guilty about not speaking when you feel you should have said something. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up or something like that because we're all in this. We're all in this. We all understand what the pressure is now to conform. We all find it hard to be different. And so we all stay quiet when we feel we should say something. We all don't offer to pray when something within us says, you should really pray for that person now. So socially, we are being marginalized. And we find it hard because for a long time, Christians were in the center of stuff. When I first came into the Church of Scotland, being an elder in the Church of Scotland was such a big thing. People really wanted to do it. It was like a, a status position thing. Um, in Perth, city centre church, uh, that's, you know, people wanted to do that. People from the theatre and all these kind of things. High school head teachers and all that. They were all elders. I felt totally out of my depth. Uh, they are with all these influential people who were all out now. 
You know, it's not seen as a social status thing to be involved in the church. It's not understood. Why would you want to give your time to help lead a church? Marginalization. You still with me? Okay. Uh, So let me move on. (laughs) Next slide, please. There we go. Next one. We're just going to run through these now. There we go. So what are the four biggest questions? What I did was, I went around the country a little bit like this. And I asked Christians, mostly Christians kind of under 40, and then I had another set which were over 40, and I asked them, what is the most important things that enable you to keep going with Jesus? And then I got a whole bunch of people online who'd stopped going to church and asked them, what are the things that actually you felt biggest pressure that made you give up? And here's the four things that people came up with. And I've kind of made this into a small group study with wee films and questions and stuff uh, for people. If you've not seen enough of me, you can see me walking along Ely Beach in one of the films. For nothing else but looking at a beautiful Ely Beach, it's worth having a look at the films and you can find them online uh, and stuff. So here they are. Um, in order to be a radical follower of Jesus today, you have to know who you are in Jesus. It is the most important thing. You have to know that Jesus is for you. You have to know that God is faithful. You have to know that you're a beloved son or beloved daughter of the king. You need to know that when you became a follower of Jesus, your identity changed in him and will never be taken away from you. So whatever the world says to you or about you, God is always singing love songs over you. And that's the key. We don't wander around expecting praise from the world. We wander around knowing that our father loves us and is saying, oh, look at my son, look at my daughter, how cool they are. Look at what they're doing. Do Do you ever picture that, the moment? That Jesus is speaking and singing over you because you are so special to him. Now again, right at this moment, I'm, I'm not going to kind of go through this, but, but pretty much all of us will have words that have been said to us that are still somewhere in us that were negative, hurtful, challenging, painful often from people that we trusted and loved. And it challenges our identity. But in order to follow Jesus radically, you need to know who you are. I'm a son of a king. What do I care whether people in the world, or sometimes even in the church, uh, actually think about me? I don't. I honestly don't. Um, Because I know who's for me. And if you know who's for me, you see who's against you with a different lens in life. And it makes you bolder. So you need identity. Second thing is you need community. I don't understand why we don't get this as Christians. In all these conversations, I have person after person saying to me, well, I don't actually need other Christians. I can do this on my own. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, can you show me in the Bible anywhere where, where you're encouraged just to do faith by yourself? Because, um, see, this is the way I see it in my own kind of simple way. God is community, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. Community. 
interactive together creatively in a dance of faith and creation. Um, therefore, if, if we are in some way filled with the Spirit, connected and loving Jesus and praying to the Father, then you'd expect that we would need other Christians. We would need one another. We need encouragement. We need support. We need to be praying together. We need to be learning together. Not to be the same, but to grow. We need one another. And everywhere in the Bible, you find people coming together. Acts chapter 2. They met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes. Almost as soon as, as Pentecost came, the first thing church Christians did was come together. We need one another. And we need support and mentoring in this. If I can really quick, there's no, uh, hey, this is a great place. There's no clock around here. Um, but I will stop in two or three minutes. Uh, trust me on that. Uh, um, when I became a Christian, I knew absolutely nothing and eventually ended up at Church of Scotland in Abbey View called St. Ninians. But, um, but as soon as I did, there was an elder in another church um, called Dunfermline Abbey, um, who had actually known my dad before he died. I didn't know this kind of connection. Who had prayed for us as a family uh, from the time my dad died. And when he heard I'd come to faith, Gordon invited me down on a Thursday night. And when I went, I, I got my tea. And then we talked about prayer, and he asked me how I was going with faith. For uh, 18 months, every Thursday night, from like five o'clock till about half eight, I'd go to Gordon's for my tea. Every week, we started with uh, Mark's gospel. We'd read a chapter of the Bible together. Every week, we would pray together. And he would speak to me about faith and his challenges of faith. He was passing on his experience of God to me. Um, and it, it wasn't an official mentoring course. It was a doing life together. And see, this is my thing. We, we all have experience of Jesus. And if you've been on the journey with Jesus for a year, you've got a year's experience to pass on to somebody who is just starting the journey. And if you've been a Christian for 10 years, you've got 10 years experience, hopefully, uh, to pass on to somebody who's been on the journey for one year. So all of us, if we're going to be radical followers of Jesus, we need other people in our lives who are further on in the journey, and we need people who are newer to the journey so that we're receiving and we're giving. We're a community who receive from others and who give to others in our spiritual lives. So I'm going to urge you to have a think. Who could I be having a coffee with and just talk a little bit about my faith to what Christian could I be meeting or having round um, for tea one night just to talk about life and faith? Who could I be actively supporting? Let me challenge you now. Who could I be texting, if you're into texting and stuff, who could I be texting or phoning this afternoon to encourage them in their walk with Jesus? Maybe a one-line text. Something I, um, somebody challenged me about um, five, five, six years ago, so I just pretty much every day now is send a text or a two-line email to someone to say, thinking about you today, praying for you, remember God is for you today. 
And the response I've had of that over like years has been amazing, where people have come back and, and kind of said, you know, I was just, I was looking at this day and it was a terrible day and I got your text. Um, so we need community, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So we need to make an effort because community doesn't happen. You've got to make community happen. I've got a million things that I could be doing, that I like doing, um, that would stop me connecting with other people. I have to make the effort to go and meet someone for coffee. I have to make the effort to go um, to a small group in a church when I could be doing other stuff. But it's so important to do. Um, we are a community. And let's face it, right? Because think about this. If you don't like Christians in community now, heaven is going to be like so miserable for you. And all you've got to have is like community with other Christians. You spent, I spent my whole Christian life avoiding all you people. And now I've got the whole of eternity and I can't get rid of you. You're just kind of there. And you're joyful and you're kind of, and you're praising and stuff. And I, where is the individualist room in heaven? And you think, nah, sorry, that's gone. We're kind of all together in this. Um, and you find just for fun, God puts you next to the most uh, outrageous, loud Christian people on the other side of you. If you really, really want to prepare yourself for heaven, you've got to love other Christians. You've got to get ready for it. And hold my hand up, some Christians totally do my head in. Right? Um, so I've got a bit in my, in my wall that's got a wee dent in it. That's where I bang my head off it uh, sometimes. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I'm, I'm thankful to God for the invention of malt whiskey. That's all, that's all, all I can say. And, and that's simply because of the amount of meetings I've gone to over the years of church. And um, not saying anything in particular, but presbytery meetings are like, Sometimes, if you've ever been to one, I'm sorry. That's all I can say, really. So, um, cost. To be a Christian today, you've got to understand there is cost involved. Some people are not going to love you. And some of the hopes you've got for people you love are going to be rejected outright. Some people are going to hate what you stand for. Some people are going to reject your message. And the thing I get back and have done over the last couple of years is the amount of people who talk about their children totally disdaining their faith and rejecting it out of hand and how costly and painful that has been to them. Jesus made clear that to follow him was to invite cost. He said, you know, unless you're able every single day to take up a cross and follow me, so die to what the world thinks. You can't be a follower. You can't win a universal popularity contest and be a radical follower of Jesus. There is cost involved. All I can say, because I know uh, praying about, about this today, I know that some of you understand that cost a lot. I know that some of you have husbands, wives, partners, children, and it's really, really hard. It's even difficult coming out to church sometimes. 
But you need to know that in the cost, in the pain, Jesus is there. You don't face cost alone. That is the hope of the gospel. It's a Jesus who is with you both in laughter and tears, in mountaintop and in valley. He is the hope and the shelter in the midst of pain. So we need to understand cost is part of our calling. When I, uh, when I um, changed the church, I had a city centre church, we, we uh, totally closed it down and started a new one in a housing scheme. Um, and uh, we didn't have a building, we didn't do anything like that, and it had been a 100-year-old church um, in the middle of Perth. And um, I got this letter from someone, an anonymous letter, which said, um, our church managed to withstand two world wars but could not withstand your ministry. A well-wisher. And, and I thought, if that's a well-wisher, I don't know what the people who don't like me are saying uh, uh, about it. We face cost. That's who we are. And lastly, we have to understand this, and this is the biggest thing that came out, but I only want to take one minute on it, is we have to understand that in the gospel and in Jesus there is forgiveness. Uh, the church is not made up of perfect people. It's made up of saved saints. Right? We're all on a journey. We all get it wrong. We all make mistakes. We all fall off the path. We all say the wrong things. None of us are perfect. But here is the good news of the gospel. There is forgiveness in Jesus. He doesn't wait till we're perfect till he loves us. He loves us and begins to transform us. And so many people were giving up on discipleship and still are, is because I heard this countless times. I don't think Jesus could love me anymore. I did this. I stopped doing this. I stopped going here. Um, I'm not as passionate as I once was. I don't think God will be interested in me anymore. That's when you want to you know, take your slipper off and bash people about the head and say, have you ever ever read anything in the Gospels that would make you believe that Jesus was going to stop loving you? Do you not understand the cross? The cross is the ultimate eternal example of what love is. And it's about forgiveness. At the heart of our message is forgiveness. So these are the four things that we need. We need to understand that we are going to make mistakes, but God forgives us and strengthens us and puts us back on the journey again. We have to understand that there is cost involved, but God's with us in it. We have to have one another, because when we're on our own, we're in real trouble. We need each other. We have to know who we are. We are sons and daughters of the King. We stand up, please? Let me pray for you. Let's just uh, close our eyes, our heads. I have a real sense that there are people in the room and, and, and you have real, uh, real challenges believing that you are ultimately completely loved by God, adored by God. You, you get in your head, you just don't get it in your heart. Um, I would love to pray for it. If there's anybody in the room that that's how you feel, would you really, really quickly put your hand up? Just, 
Nobody else will see. You just quickly put your hand up so that I can pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, just put your hand back down again. That's great. And a real sense that there are people who, who are going through that cost at the moment. You, it is a struggle. It's not easy with family or friends or workplace or wherever you are. It's, it's a struggle and it feels painful. If you're in the midst of that cost, could you really just quickly put your hand? Okay, thank you. And there are those of us who are finding discipleship just to fall away in a real challenge just now. Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe we're just tired and weary. But if we're really, really honest, the passion is not where it was. And we really need a fresh encounter with God. We need a real touch from God to re-energize our faith. This is really, really hard. But if that's you, would you just put your hand up really quickly just so I know that I'm praying for some people. Thank you. you. Okay, let's pray together. Thank you that um, once we were far off, but now we've been brought near. Once we were alienated from you, but now we are your children. We are cherished and loved by you. Lord, I pray that all of us would have a fresh revelation of who we are in you. That we would be able to receive in our hearts that sense of sonship, daughtership, that we would be aware of the closeness of God through the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who look back on our lives and think, how could God love me? Why does God love me? Then I pray that you would know he loves you because of grace. He has chosen to love you and he is for you. Lord, I pray for your presence. Lord, for those of us who, yeah, we are bearing the cost right now. We feel it. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. Whether in work or family or, or with friends, it, it feels as though sometimes we're in a vice and, and the vice is being turned and the pressure is on and the pressure is real and it's hard and we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And, and even when we don't think we're saying anything, we seem to manage to annoy people. And God following you is tough. I pray for those of us in the room who are fighting that. That they would know your presence closer than they have ever felt it before. I pray they would hear your voice and know your strengthening. Will you remind them of the joy set before them the journey and I pray for a spiritual breakthrough in Jesus name in the issues that people are facing that are costly I pray through the wonderful powerful 
name of Jesus for breakthrough today and in this week. And I pray, yeah, uh, as I said, some of us are not sleeping because of the issues that that we're thinking about. I, I just pray for sleep tonight for people. The calmness that you're in control, God. The Lord, some of us, we look back on our Christian lives, we remember the days of passion, the days of fire, the days of of prayer and sharing our faith, and and God, that's not where we are. are. We're kind of hanging on by fingernails, we're kind of using the Christian cliches, but we're not where we were. Send your fire, God. Send your fire that we may burn again for you. And we pray for a fresh encounter of your presence. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come? In Jesus' name, amen.